Qualichem, supporting the water treatment community since 1990. The blender matters. Your blender is the key relationship that leads to the success of your water treatment company. Qualichem provides technical support, sales support, formulation support, training, and so much more. To find out more about Qualichem, go to scalinguph2o.com forward slash Qualichem. Once again, that's scalinguph2o.com forward slash Qualichem. At Qualichem, we know the blender matters. Welcome to Scaling Up, the podcast where we scale up on knowledge so we don't scale up our systems. I'm Trace Blackmore, Trace Blackmore Certified Water Technologist, and I love bringing this podcast to you. Nation, I have been coming at you for 300 times. Can you believe it? This is the 300th episode. And that is just so incredibly amazing, especially if you go back five, six years ago when I started this podcast and I had no idea how to do a podcast. And I'm a big procedures guy, so I started creating procedures. Right or wrong, I had a procedure and that allowed me to go from step A to step B. And I think I shared on a podcast episode before where the way I learned about podcast was I watched YouTube and I did internet searches. And from there, I made my own set of procedures and we created what the first episodes of Scaling Up H2O were. And I know there's a lot of listeners that have been with us since the beginning. And since the beginning, we have added staff members, so people that actually know what they're doing besides myself, because I just make it up as I go along. They actually made sure that we were doing things properly and getting better every time we did them. So I want to thank all of the people that work on this podcast, and of course, we have Corinne Drury, which is our producer. We, of course, have Sean Dooley, who is our audio engineer, and then Margie Davin that makes sure that everything that is supposed to be getting done gets done. She does all of our social media posting and website updates. And this is an amazing team. So I am so incredibly fortunate to have a team like this. And the only reason I have a team like this is because we have the listeners out there. And that, of course, is you, the Scaling Up Nation. Well, when I step back and I look at what it means to have 300 episodes, I wanted to put that into context because honestly, that's a great number. But what does that really mean? So they say there's a little over 3 million podcasts out there, and there's 465 million people that listen to those podcasts. They say that that is going to increase to over 500 million by next year. And with all those podcasts out there, they say there's 70 million podcast episodes out there. Now, the United States is the biggest consumer of podcasts, and they say that there are over 100 million podcast listeners in the United States alone. And if you were to survey all of the American population, I don't know how they know this, but I'm reading it online, so it has to be correct. 
One third, so one out of every three Americans listens to podcasts regularly. Over 78% of the United States population is aware of podcasts, and almost 30% listen to podcasts each and every week as part of their regular routine. And they say that podcasts are listened to most in the morning. And they're mostly listened to over a mobile phone. And the number one podcast player on that phone is Apple Podcasts. All right, so there you go. There's some podcast statistics. I wanted to know what it really meant to have 300 episodes. And here's something interesting, that of all the podcasts that start, only about 20% of them make it past the first year. And less than 2% of all the podcasts that have ever been created have made it to 300 episodes. That is just amazing to me. I am so fortunate that I am hosting one of those podcasts that has made it to 300 episodes. And in fact, if you go back and if you look at podcast players, you can see that we are well over 300 episodes But I did some crazy things in the beginning because I didn't know what I was doing. And one of those crazy things was I started being creative with numbering. Folks, there is no reason to be creative with numbering. But for some reason, that's what I did. So I had 11.1 and 11.2. We never went back and corrected that. So we just said whatever the number was once I came to my senses, we just started numbering those the way that uh, normal people would. And by doing that, we have been very successful in our market space. And I love going to trade shows, conventions, training seminars, and people are talking about this podcast. And the coolest thing that has come from this podcast, and you all know that my mission is to raise the bar in our industry. Well, what has happened as a result of that is people are talking about this podcast and they're talking to each other and now we're forming a community on top of that. Now we have something that is non-threatening, that's very easy to talk about with somebody that's in our industry that gets them talking. And now we're not talking about competition and perhaps you took one of my accounts, we're talking about how do we become better? Did you hear this episode? And I've heard so many people say that they have started relationships on talking about the Scaling Up H2O podcast, and now they consider those people friends. And I heard it happen at the recent AWT technical training seminar, and it is just amazing. So thank you for all the people out there that listen and talk about this podcast. I think I mentioned this before. There's this uh, group out there called Listen Notes, and they actually rank podcasts. And when you look at where your podcast ranks, that can be very dangerous because then you see, oh, are we up? Are we down? Where are we against somebody else? So I got to be honest, I really don't look at it that often because my benchmark is, are people talking about this in the industry? And I just explained they are. Are people coming to me with ideas? They are. 
Don't stop, by the way. Don't assume that I've got everything that I need because 300 episodes, if we're going to do 300 more, we're going to need lots more content. So please don't keep that information to yourself. Get your show ideas, get your guest ideas, all those things to me. But all that being said, those are how I look at being successful with this podcast. With that, Listen Note says that there are 3,057,835 podcasts out there that are actively contributing information to whatever service they're collecting their information from. The Scaling Up H2O podcast ranks within the top 3% of over 3 million podcasts. That is amazing to me. I think it's great. I think it says that we have stumbled on to content that people want, that people are sharing, that people are talking about. So all of this is a big windup for me to say thank you. If you did not listen to the Scaling Up H2O podcast, if you didn't tell other people that we have a podcast for the water treatment industry, I would not be in front of you talking about the 300th episode. So thank you to everybody out there in the Scaling Up Nation that makes that possible, that makes us do an additional 300 episodes. I'm just so incredibly humbled about that, and I wanted to thank everybody that listens to this podcast. And we have people that start listening to us new each and every day. Of course, that's something my team looks at. How are we getting the message out there? How are we making sure that we are finding new listeners to the Scaling Up H2O podcast? I will say the number one way we find new listeners is you are telling other people about it. That is by far the biggest way that new people find their way to our show. So I, again, want to thank you for that. Just recently, we added a new group of listeners in Costa Rica, and our producer, Corinne, who I just mentioned, she actually lived in Costa Rica for a short time. So thank you for all the listeners out there in Costa Rica. We're always looking at where our podcasts are being downloaded. I think we're up to 90-something countries. I'll share with you that the top ones are the United States, the UK. Australia, I think Italy, Germany, and Scandinavia, I think is the order that it goes into. Again, I'm just so happy that people are listening to me. I'm so glad that wherever you are, you're tuning into the Scaling Up H2O podcast. Also, wherever you are, something that you are probably doing is trying to figure out How do you get up to know on things that are going on in your part of water treatment? And a great way to do that is through conferences. I want to tell you a few conferences that are coming up. So April 16th through 19th in Minneapolis, Minnesota, the 2023 Sustainable Water Management Conference is coming up. So this might be something that you want to check out if you are in stormwater and water conservation and other utilities. We'll have all of that information on our upcoming events page. Also, the fourth Global Smart Water Summit is taking place in Berlin, Germany, May 25th through 26th. So this is all about conservation. This is all about research, all about professional people in the water management industry. 
So if this is something you want to find out more, we're going to have all that on our show events page. And then finally, the 10th International Water Association Membrane Technology Conference and Expo is taking place in St. Louis, Missouri, July 23rd through 26th. That's the International Water Association, the IWA. And this is where uh, scientists, professionals, people all over the water sector come together to share thoughts in advanced membrane technology, water purification, water reuse, and desalination. So if that sounds like something you want to find out more about, again, go to our show events page. We will have all of that. And I've mentioned before, but I'm so proud of it because our team does such a great job. Our show events page has improved so much in the last year. You don't have to worry about when you heard things on particular episodes to go back to show notes. My team has created that section. So you can go to scalinguph2o.com, go over to where all of our events are, and you'll just see a calendar of events. And when you click through, all the information about that event will be there, even a link taking you to that event so you can go ahead and register. They made it super easy so you can drive from account to account and just think about what is it that you want to attend. And then when you get to a place where you can go to scalinguph2o.com, you can explore that and you can build out your calendar. So, Nation, lots of information on our show page, on our web page. Of course, we've got all of our show notes. We've got transcripts there. We've got information that our speakers and guests share with us that we put on there. So many people tell me that they search for something like corrosion coupons. And one of the first things that come up on a Google search is the Scaling Up H2O podcast. And all that information is there. So feel free to use the Scaling Up H2O podcast as your source of reference material. I mean, just think about it. We've got over 300 episodes. Just think of all the content that's up there. So this job can be difficult sometimes finding information when you're trying to learn the next thing. Let ScalingUpH2O.com be a helpful site for you to do just that. Well, Nation, somebody that helps us get a little bit smarter each and every week when it comes to water chemistries is James McDonald. So here is a brand new installment of Periodic Water Table with James. Hello and welcome to the Periodic Water Table with James, where we think and learn about water chemistry drop by drop. Please use your week to search online, ask your colleagues, or even pick up a book to learn more about each week's periodic water table topic. If you do, at the end of the year, you'll be 52 water chemistry smarter. So let's raise the water table of knowledge together and get started. Today's topic is... Chloride. What impact can chloride have on an industrial water system? What is the difference between chloride and chlorine? Does chloride typically take a part in precipitation reactions? How do you test for chloride in the field? Where is the titration endpoint for chloride? Why would one calculate chloride cycles of concentration in addition to other cycles of concentration or concentration ratio for water systems? What could add more chloride to a system to interfere with this calculation? At what level does chloride pose a corrosion danger to stainless steels? 
Remember, knowledge is power, and taking the time to learn more about water chemistry each week will help make you a force to be reckoned with. Be sure to post what you learned to social media and tag it with hashtag WaterTable23 and hashtag ScalingUpH2O. I look forward to learning more from you. Well, James, as always, thanks again. We are going to be 52 times smarter at the end of this year because each and every week you are asking us to think more about the chemistries that allow us to do what we do each and every day. So, Nation, if you have not caught up to all of the segments that we have done this year, you can go to our show page, our webpage, which is scalinguph2o.com, and we'll have all of those listed for you, making it very easy for you to see what you need to catch up on as we deliver that. Well, Nation, as you know, we are in the middle of a hiring crisis. If you have tried to hire, it's probably a lot more difficult than it has ever been. And we're going to bring an expert on the show for our interview. So Nation, here it is. My lab partner today is Chris Yee of Zenith Search Partners. Chris, thank you for being on the Scaling Up H2O podcast. It's my pleasure, Trace. How are you today? I am doing fantastic, and I can't wait to talk to you about all of this because I know everybody's wondering what the heck is going on in the workforce today. It used to be I got a thousand applications. Now, if I get one or two, I'm dancing because people just aren't responding the way that they used to. And we're going to get down to the bottom of that today. Before we do, do you mind sharing with the Scaling Up Nation a bit about Chris Yee? Sure. Graduated with an engineering degree and ultimately got a master's in finance and an MBA and went to work working for big companies in procurement and sales and then uh, business management. And then I made a big switch about seven years ago and became a recruiter, started my own company after working for multi-billion dollar companies before became a recruiter, and now we serve the water treatment space as well as other chemical sectors. And we've been at it for seven years and never been in HR, never been a recruiter, but I decided that recruiters generally were terrible and I wanted to be a different and a differential choice out there in the market that I never saw when I was on the, quote, other side. So that's me. I will say that I've never spoken with a recruiter that understands our industry quite as well as you do. I'm flattered. Thank you. And that's our intent is to be true industrial participants of the industries we serve, to understand their needs, to understand their drivers. And that's the only way to really serve them rather than just being a, quote, headhunter who throws resumes at hiring managers, because there's a lot of folks who do that. And we try to be a little different. Well, you and I met at the Association of Water Technologies Conference in Vancouver. You did a fantastic presentation. And I remember after that presentation, I was thinking, wow, there's so much we could explore from that. And it would be a fantastic podcast. And I meant to get up to you and ask you about that. But there were so many people after your presentation that were trying to ask you questions. I I was just too impatient. I couldn't stand in line. And then as I was walking through the AWT convention, we, of course, have the Rising Tide Mastermind. 
And so many Mastermind members said, have you spoke to Chris Yee about joining the Rising Tide Mastermind? And I heard it once, I heard it twice, I heard it three times. And then we were at the dinner. It was the very last night and uh, and somebody came up to me and I don't know, it was probably the fifth or sixth person. And he's like, you know what? I'm going to go talk to him right now. You were on your way out and we just had the best conversation in the foyer. I was 20 feet from the exit door and you rapidly walked up to me and said, hey, Chris, you got a minute, you got a minute. And I looked and I was like, that's Trace Blackmore. We've never officially met, but I, I believe me, I know who Mr. Blackmore is, but what does he want with me? <laughs> you know. So yeah, that was that was a uh, unexpected ending to AWT. <laughs> well, it was fantastic. And I will say what one of the issues that we've been processing a lot in the Rising Tide Mastermind is what I set up for in the very beginning. Is it used to be if we had a opening in our companies, we could hang a sign in the window, turn a light on, put an ad on one of the internet services, and we were flooded with applicants. And then the pain was, oh my gosh, how do you get rid of the good applicants from the not so good applicants? And then there was the process. Well, now it seems like that spigot has been totally turned off And we're just not getting people that are finding their way, not just into our workforce, but the workforce of our entire economy. So I thought we could talk a little bit about that. I thought we could talk about all the generations that are working together and how that actually plays parts of what we're seeing right now. And maybe bring some clarity to what's happening, but then also what we can do about it. What are we in control of? So with all of that, where do you want to start? Goodness me, that's an awful lot. We'll start anywhere you want to. We could talk about generations or we could even talk about kind of what's going on in the recruiting space and how do you shovel through all the chaff to get to the wheat, if you will, or said another way, how do you work through all the manure to get to the pony? You know, however (laughs) you want want to say it, same thing, same, same illustration. Um, However you want to play it, Trace. Well, how about we start with generations? And I've talked about different generations on this podcast before. I can't remember who's responsible for naming the generations. I think we've got different players that do that. And sometimes we have names, sometimes we have letters. So I know that gets confusing, but let's just start with that. What are the generations today and who are they that are in the current workforce? You bet. So. In deference to the seniors, let's start from the most experienced to the least experienced. So these are the general kind of names and age groups. And even in that, there's some variation, to your point. There's some variation in what they're called sometimes. And there's not 100% consensus in the, quote, world about these ages. So these are generalities. So with that being said, Trace, you know, you start out with the traditionalists, right? The traditionalist generations are generally 76 years old and older. So think of our president. He is a traditionalist. Uh, Then um, you go to the boomers, the baby boomers, and they are generally 57 ish to 75. So think of um, Oprah Winfrey or uh, President Clinton, 
Okay, they are in that boomer generation. And then there's below that, uh, younger than the boomers are what are traditionally called Generation X. And those are people around 40, 41-ish to the mid-50s, 56-ish. So think of former President Obama and Jennifer Lopez. And then stepping down in age, they're uh, the millennials. And I have one millennial child. Uh, Millennials are generally thought of as 26 to 40. So think of uh, LeBron James, um, for example, or uh, Representative AOC. And then finally, Generation Z is 25 and below. So think of Kylie Jenner or um, a football, uh, basketball player, Trey Young, who plays for the Atlanta basketball team. So those are folks 25 and below. And even below that, uh, not that I study it a lot because they're not in the workforce, but there are folks that are like 13 and below that's called Gen Alpha, which I don't know much about, but that's an upcoming new generation that, you know, obviously isn't in the workforce yet. But that's traditionally what we think of the five generations. I'm sure there's different characteristics that each one of the generations bring into the workforce. What is that? And then what does that mean we need to do when we know that? Interesting. It's how they really look at their career and their loyalties and their view on authorities, right? So I know that's a lot because, for example, how people view authority, we can talk about the differences between generations on how they view authority. So how would you like to to slice that? I mean, we could talk about kind of loyalty, the view on work in general, their view on authority, not just work, but authority, or their values or even their work styles. How would you like to talk about that? I think we can cover each one of those, but I know for a fact that the generations don't understand each other. I know they do things differently, and one generation will equate work with, you have to do it this way, when another generation will say, no, you've got to do it this way. Those things clash, and even though things are getting done, they're not getting done the way people think they should be done. So how about we look at it in that light? You bet. So let's look at their work style. Again, these are all very general and stereotypical. So we all have to, you know, that's the big asterisk that kind of umbrellas this entire conversation. But generally speaking, how do these various generations, what is the work style they are most comfortable with? So let's start with the traditionalists, right? Traditionalists believe in a very rule-based, rule-oriented linear work style. Traditionalists will say, rules are rules, and we got to follow them. Period, end of story. The rules are there for a reason. We got to follow them. You switch to the baby boomers, you know, 57 to 75, they are, they like structure. They like hierarchy. They like looking at an org chart and saying, all right, this is who we are. This is what we're doing. This is our structure. There's not a lot of crossing lines or matrices, but this is where I fit in the structure. And I'm comfortable with that. And that's how I like to work. Then you go to Generation X, you know, 40s to mid-50s. They like a more flexible work style. 
you know, they like a more flexible work style about, hey, look, you know, for this project, we're going to have this reporting structure. For that project, we're going to have that reporting structure. And it's okay, right? So somewhat flexible. And that flexibility is taken to another higher notch with the millennials. They're very fluid. They're sitting here going, okay, look, I can be the leader of this project. And on this project, I can be a minor, minor player, right? The millennials be in mid-20s to 40, give or take. Now, the work styles for Generation Z, 25 and below, is very interesting. Not that we've got a gajillion data points on that, but work styles for them is fluid times two for that. They're saying, look, work-life balance is the key, right? Hey, work plays a role, but I'm okay with great uncertainty. As a matter of fact, I'm very, very comfortable with great, great uncertainty. So when you compare that to the boomers and the traditionalists who are very structured, linear, rules are there for a reason because rules should rule. You know, you mix that with the Gen Z person going, you know, a little bit about the Outback Steakhouse tagline, no rules, just right, right? They're, they're very comfortable with that. So even in that, Trace, you kind of see this potential friction between these these silos, if you will, of generations. Absolutely, it helps. With that, we have people that have left the workforce. And the theories that I've heard is that those were people that probably should have left the workforce already. But uh, when COVID happened, they say, you know what, I'm going to stop sticking around. I'm just done with this. And the younger generations, there just weren't enough of them to fill the gaps. Is that what we're seeing right now? Yes. And in the chemical space in general, what we here at Zenith Partners calls the two-hump camel has been around pre-COVID. If I could digress what the two-hump camel is, historically in the chemical space, including water treatment, um, because that's a subset of, you have a bunch of folks who are, say, 50 and over who are in this space and working and doing a great job and leading companies and in charge of stuff. And then you have a bunch of folks traditionally 35 and under who are just entering the workforce relatively and who are making a name for themselves, whose careers are ascending. But then there's this kind of lull in the middle between 35 and say 50 and 55 where there's this gap. That, in my experience, that's been a part of the chemical space for years and years. Now, COVID-19 really through a curveball at that trace, right? Because you had people, to your point, 100% true. They were saying, you know, I was going to retire in 2022, 2024, but this masking and people are dying by the by the thousands every day, you know, in, in 2020, right? You know, now's a good time to retire. So that further threw this balance out of whack. And in addition to that, you had people who reevaluated their lives on the back half of 2020. If you've heard of the great quit or the great resignation, right? There were people that evaluated saying, you know what? There's so much uncertainty about my health and I've been working from home for the last eight months. You know, I'm not so sure what role work has for me 
I don't know if I want to do what I've done. And COVID-19 has forced a lot of them, or was an opportunity, was an opportunity for them to reevaluate their lives in general, including work and what they do and how they do it and from where. And that really disrupted the labor market a little bit. (laughs) And I've heard what historically has happened is the baby boom, not to use that term since that is one of the items, but the, the birth rate just wasn't as high as it has been in the past to make up for all those people leaving. And you have those macro factors at play as well, right? You have the people, I'm an older baby boomer, right? So my father fought in World War II and, you know, wouldn't you know it, I'm the youngest of three kids because he had three kids in the 15, 20 years after World War II, right? You know, so so I'm part of that generation. So you're right. Those were the, you know, the roaring 50s and 60s, right? Well, you compare that with the 2000s and the 2010s, the people with 2.8 kids, they now have 2.1 kids, right? You know, and, and you're right. So that's a different. Plus, you have all these other new industries from which to choose. You know, think back to computer electronics, robotics, automation, those types of things, even advances in medicine, right? There are so many more career paths for people to choose, that further brings about headwinds to all hiring managers because there's so much competition in general for talent. I want to say you probably don't go a couple of days without somebody saying people just are deciding not to work. They're staying at home. But when I'm talking to people, especially in our industry, I don't know of anybody that's staying at home. We're just not finding people. So what's going on there? It's interesting. Bring up a couple of examples. We we had a uh, a firm we serve who was looking for a customer service supervisor, and that firm says, "Well, we are here in our city, and we would like that person to come into the office because that's where the other customer service reps are." That was a very difficult search because we reached out to customer service supervisors and managers and customer service folks, and they said, "Man, we've been working from home since." February, March, 2020. If you want me to come into any office, I don't care if it's three blocks down the road and start doing dry cleaning and all that stuff. You want me to do that? Either A, I'm just not interested at any price, or B, if you're interested in having me change my lifestyle that much, I demand an extra 10, 20,000. So that's kind of changed. That's forced a change from employer's perspective to have them reevaluate must I have customer service professionals in this office in the 2020-2021 timeframe? So there's that. But yeah, to your point, Trace, about water treaters who are by definition not remote because we got to go where the fun is, you know, you know, we got to go where the water is, you know, in order to treat the water. Now, admittedly, having said that, there is, you know, remote monitoring and all that. Yes, admittedly, and that that's going to be a bigger and bigger trend. But today, Hey man, I got to go change out that acid pump. Hey man, I've got to go run pinks and blues on that, you know, you know, on that uh uh on that stream. It is hard to find people who are interested in that type of work. The pool is getting smaller. Um and that's that's a challenge for all of us, Trace, as you and I know firsthand. 
I know the AWT is trying to do outreach so colleges know that this is a potential career. Of course, this podcast helps the younger generations kind of feel out what what is this career and become uh, aware of it. But what do we do? How, how do we get people to find this space? And how do we make sure when they do find it, we're coming to them where they're at? Great questions. There's at least two questions there, my friend. So I got to see if I can unpack them. Number one, what do we do to attract folks? I think having people who truly understand the benefit of water and water treatment and the role that it plays in our society is a big deal. I dare say that if you go to a typical college campus, you know, a typical college campus anywhere in these United States and go to the chemistry majors or the chemical engineering majors and say, what do you want to do when you graduate? I don't know how many percent would say, I want to be in water treatment. Most of them will say, I want to go into pharmaceuticals. I want to do leading edge research on solar. I mean, I don't know what they'll say, but I, I'm fearful for, for the low percentage that they'll say water treatment. So a lot of that is education. But for companies in water treatment, in order to attract recent Gen Z type folks, approaching it from hey, we talk about environmental sustainability. You know, that's a big deal, right? Treating our environment, respecting the environment, being good stewards of our natural resources. And rightfully so. There's a lot of energy built around those initiatives. Again, rightfully so. Hey, what about us? Water treatment. We are a, by definition, we are a green industry. By definition, we are a, we are a leading basic infrastructure for sustainability and responsibility. So that's a, that's a selling point. And Trace, we can talk about this. Do, do you think we do a, could we do a better job and how could we do a better job as we recruit, as we go to college campuses, as we put job postings on Indeed or LinkedIn or career building or, you know, go to a recruiter like me? How do we market our opportunities in this industry? Do we properly leverage this green component that appeals to these Gen Z folks? Yeah, I don't. I don't know if I have a blanket answer. Uh, and I love how the tables have turned now. Now you're asking sorry. me questions. So no, sorry. I love it. I love so it. That's sorry. great. I would say if we look at the industry on the whole, no, we do a horrible job of that. Uh, most people are in the older generations that are owning the water treatment companies, and things were done a certain way there. Our our industry is extremely lucrative. And I think that motivates a lot of people. But what you're talking about is a totally different type of motivation. And I think our industry has been very slow to transition to this is a very lucrative industry. It's very exciting. You get to make your own schedule in most cases to I'm giving something back. I'm actually paying forward. I'm doing something that's helping the world. I think we've been very slow to adopt that. I wholeheartedly agree. And to your point, 
I'm generalizing, when hiring firms come to Zenith, you know, in the AWT or in the water treatment space, right? In, in the water treatment space, they say, hey, we're looking for a salesperson, you know, who is willing to have a great career with great stability to make great money and to move up in his or her career. That's great. That motivates people on some level, but you're right. What we What is absolutely silent in that pitch is, hey, here's why you want to work for our company. Because we do something great. We serve a greater good. And you can be a part of that because we help make your life better. You know, it's it's the most simple form. We help make your life better. And hey, would you like to be a part of this movement? Come on over and work for us. That appeals more to instead of what we do and how we do it, why do you do it? And I think the younger generations are more tuned into why am I working? What do I want my work to say about my life and my beliefs and my values? Because I can make money doing a lot of things, but depending on the job and career I choose, you know, I can feel much better after working 40 to 60 hours a week. That makes sense. I think it makes a lot of sense. Let me ask, what are some of your favorite interview questions? Great question. And I think this cuts to maybe a question on the lightning round about what are the the last three books. But I've recently read a book that really resonated with me, Simon Sinek. And I must be the last or one of the few people on earth that have never read one of his books. But I read a book called Start With Why. And yeah, I see you nod, right? And that book really caused me to stop and think about a lot of things. To answer your questions about interview questions, asking questions why is a big question. What motivates you to get out of bed every morning and work uh, is, is a question that we ask our candidates. You know, and then we also take a trip down what we call take a trip down fantasy lane. Like, hey, if you were king of the world or queen of the world and you could design your own job, what would it be? Tell me about what you would do. Tell me about the the industry and the role and what your company does and the values of those companies that you work for. And tell me about your boss and your peers. So close your eyes and if you were king or queen of the world, how would you define your perfect job? And then what we ask candidates oftentimes is, all right, Mrs. Candidate, how does that fantasy lane role compare with what you've got today? Because maybe the firm that I'm representing is way farther away from you, you know, from that picture of fantasy than where you are today, in which case it's not a good opportunity and we need to, you know, move on. But that's a good question about, hey, you know, visualize your future. You know, what's your fantasy? Stillnet Nation, as you can tell, Chris Yee knows his stuff. And one of my favorite things to do with Chris is say, how do I ask this question in a better way? And he will help wordsmith questions to ask to interviewees that are just brilliant. And not only do you get the answer that you were looking for, you are getting so much more because it puts the legwork on the person answering, not the person creating the question, so you really get feedback. 
He does a phenomenal job at that. And as you can tell, we've got a lot to talk about. So we're going to bring Chris back next week where we continue this conversation. In the meantime, I would love it if you went to scalinguph2o.com and let us know what you want to hear on this podcast. I talked about it a little bit in the very beginning of this episode as we celebrated this being episode 300. But folks, I'm going to tell you, there is no way I'm going to have 300 more if you do not help me out. So let me know what you want to hear on this podcast. Do you have certain questions? Is there a guest out there that you want me to interview? And let me know all of that information. Again, you can do that by going to scalinguph2o.com, and that will allow you to navigate over to our show ideas page, and you can type us what your idea is. There's also right on the front of the webpage where you can leave a voicemail and that opens up the microphone on whatever device you are using and it allows you to record straight to the website, either you asking a question, saying something about the podcast, anything that you want. It's our open mic feature and then we will try to get that on the podcast so you can even hear your own voice on the Scaling Up H2O podcast. Nation, thank you so much for allowing me to have a podcast that has 300 episodes. We will be coming back to you next Friday for 301, where we will be continuing our conversation with Chris Yee. Everybody, have a great week.